Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 20. That's the passage we're at today, Matthew chapter 20, as we're considering Thanksgiving thoughts from the parable of the vineyard workers. Here's the key concept for today. God does not pay wages. He gives gifts of grace. Matthew chapter 20 is where we will find ourselves today in the Word of God. We're going to come to to look at a a parable that sometimes is overlooked. It's not a parable that a lot of people concentrate on because when we read it, at first, this parable that Jesus tells leaves us a bit puzzled. It leaves us a little speechless. It doesn't seem fair what Jesus teaches here. It seems slightly off of what we would expect and here we'll encounter a glaring example of the, fake, of the fact that God's grace is like nothing else you will ever experience in the world. And when we understand how God's grace works, we will be truly thankful. Matthew chapter 20, I'm just going to read with you through the first 16 verses as Jesus tells this parable. You follow along as I read. It says this, Jesus is speaking, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asks them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. 
I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then Jesus adds, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. When you first hear that parable, you say to yourself, Hold on, what's going on here? Isn't hard work rewarded? Many of us read this parable and we identify with the workers who work the full day. We think of ourselves as those who are long-suffering, the faithful workers who truly deserve maybe even more than we get. And this story, when we hear it, it upsets our sense of fair play. Don't the all-day workers deserve more than the short-time workers? And right there, when we say that question is when we can see that the wheels are coming off of our thinking because we're off track by using the word deserve. The word deserve does not connect to the grace of God. When God touches our lives, we don't get what we deserve. We are not paid according to our merit or our accomplishment. God touches us purely out of grace. God gives gifts of grace. He doesn't pay wages. All that we have from Him is a gift of grace. And if we don't get that most basic point, we will never be the grateful, thankful people that He wants us to be. But this is a shocking story. I quickly went through it, and as I went through it, I quickly skipped over the very first word of the story. The parable begins with the word for, and it means that we need to understand this parable as connected to what has gone before. This parable is somehow completing a thought that has gone before. And what has gone on before is Jesus' interaction in chapter 19 with the rich young man. Now, I'm going to summarize that interaction with you for sake of time. But in verse 16, the rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, how can I get eternal life? Specifically, he says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Now, Jesus does not take the time to discuss grace versus works. He does not take the moment to explain to the young man that no one can be good enough to earn heaven because Jesus sees that even inside of this rich young man's worldview, even inside his perspective, there is a problem. And the problem is that he's in love with his stuff. He's in love with his possessions. He's overly attached to those things that he has. And Jesus begins to deal with that problem first. And so he says in verse 21, Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Now, you need to understand that Jesus is not saying that's the way of salvation. He's not giving us a different gospel than, by, uh, than faith and grace. He's not doing that. This is just the beginning point for this particular person. This is how you start. You're not going get, to get anywhere until first you go, sell all your possessions, give, them, give it to the poor, and come to me. But you can sense the, the jarring shock of that statement. 
I mean, suppose that Jesus said that to you. I mean, suppose Jesus actually said to you, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor. You'd, you'd probably go say, well, I'm sure you mean, you mean you want me to be generous, right? I mean, that's what you're really teaching me. You want me to be a generous person. No. What I'm saying to you is go sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Well, <laughs> Lord, you, you really can't mean sell all my stuff. You're, you're probably wanting me to start to tithe, right? You want to teach me to tithe. Is that it? No. I want empty closets and bare shelves. Sell all your stuff and give it away because it's in the way of you following me. I mean, that's a shocking request. And that's what he's saying to this rich young man. Your wealth is holding you back because that's what you are truly in love with. Your wealth has become your true God, and you got to deal with that first before you deal with anything else. You'll never truly be a follower if you're in love with something else first. Give it away. And so with a heavy heart, Jesus watches this rich young man walk away because that was just too much. Now, that exchange between Jesus and the rich young man prompts a question from Peter in verse 27. Look there. Peter answered him. This is verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 27. We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Peter says, listen, in contrast to this guy who's unwilling to let go of his stuff and is kind of stuck in his materialism, we have left everything behind. We're on the road with you. We left our possessions. We left our families. What's, what's in it for us? It means we win, right? It means we're ahead, right? It means surely we deserve something, right? And Jesus responds with both a blessing and a warning. He answers the question of Peter directly. He says, Peter, yes, there is a blessing in store for you. Good things are ahead for you. You will rule in the kingdom that's coming. And anybody who sacrificed for me will be repaid a hundredfold. There is blessing that's coming in the future. But Jesus also gives him a warning. It begins in verse 30 of chapter 19, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then it continues throughout this entire parable. Because the warning is, don't think good things are coming because of the fact that you're first. Don't think good things are coming because you have earned it or because you deserve it. Deserve doesn't fit in the kingdom of grace. And don't think that when I say the last shall be first and the first shall be last that I'm sort of reversing the pecking order and now there's a new way to, to earn blessing that lastness is somehow good. What Jesus is doing is eradicating the pecking order. It's the same thing that he did, he did back in John chapter 13 when we noticed a few weeks ago when he washed the disciples' feet because they were all caught up in who's going to be the greatest, who has the higher status, and Jesus in that action of a slave eradicates the concept of status. Here again, he's establishing that same kingdom principle. At the foot of the cross, there is only equal ground. God loves all who are his equally. And to make that point startlingly clear, he tells the story. No one is ahead. So here's the story. 
The landowner comes to the market to hire day laborers. His need for workers makes him return for more and more workers five times throughout the day. His first trip starts at 6 a.m., his last trip at 5 p.m., and he establishes the rate of pay, did you note, only for the first workers. Only the early hires are told what they will be paid. You're going to be paid a denarius. Now, that is absolutely fair. That is the common wage for a day laborer in, in this, in this setting, setting in this century. So that was good pay, exactly what they would expect. But then when the pay table is set up, the short-timers, first of all, get in line first by the order of the landowner. Right there, you know something is up. Wouldn't you think that the landowner would have the people who've been working all day come first, get their pay so they can go home after a long day work? But that's not what he does. He asks the short-timers to get in line first. And as they get in line first, they realize that they're paid the exact same amount that he promised the all-day workers because the landowner is being generous with his money. He's not really paying wages. He's giving gifts. Now, we learn some things about God in this story. God is represented by the landowner. First thing we learn is the sovereignty of God. He is the master who's perfectly able to do what he wants with his field and with his money and with his people. He's free to hire the workers as he sees fit. And in the setting of the, the he's free to set the wages that he sees fit. And he's free to accomplish this according to his will. The prophets have a wonderful image of the, of the sovereignty of God when they, uh, they use the fact that he is the potter and we are the clay. He shapes and he molds and he's able to do what he wants with us. He is the master. Now, that message works against our desire for self-determination. It works against our desire to be the captain of our ship and the master of our fate. But the reality is this. God is sovereign, and we are not the captain of our ships or the masters of our fate. We are to look to Him. God is sovereign. But we also learn God is just. He does what is right. He doesn't play favorites. He will settle accounts, He will bless, He will reward, and He will judge, but He'll do all of this in His own way, and it will all be perfectly righteous. Because no one in this story had anything to complain about. The ones who agreed to the wage, that's the wage they got. The other ones who came in later got a wage that they didn't agree to. They didn't know what they were going to get, but what they received was blessing. It was grace, which leads us to the next point about God. God is gracious. He shows compassion. Even in the hiring of the workers, there is embedded the concept of compassion. Going back throughout the day, hiring workers who weren't going to really be able to accomplish that much, who really weren't going to be able to benefit his, his harvest all that greatly, Near the end of the day, he's still hiring workers because all of that bringing into himself is a work of grace. He's gracious and he shows compassion. Now, some people have tried to get this parable to fit a little better in the box of our thinking. 
And they've said, well, you know, probably what happened was he saw that these last workers, when they were hired, they were trying to make up for lost time. And so they really worked very hard. And observing that they really worked very hard, that is why he paid them the full denarius. But I think that everybody who was listening to this story in Jesus' setting would have thought the exact opposite, that probably these were the worst workers. These were the guys who couldn't get up in the morning, who weren't able to be down where the day laborers were all congregating and the farmers were coming down to hire. They kind of moseyed down there in the afternoon just to see what happens. Why are you still standing around here doing nothing was the question, remember? Well, no one has hired us. <laughs> well, guess what? They come down in the morning to do the hiring, not in the afternoon. So these weren't the best workers or the hardest workers. Even their hire was a work of grace. They were the, the worst workers, most likely. But we also are meant to learn some things about ourselves in this story. We are represented by the workers, and we're warned here against a dangerous attitude that Jesus saw in Peter in the question, well, what about us? What is for us since we left it all behind and have been following you? And the attitude that Jesus is warning against is the attitude of comparison, comparison that will kill off gratitude and thanksgiving. When it came time for the pay, the men in line were keeping tabs, weren't they? They were watching. You can almost hear the whispers as they stood in the pay line, each one kind of straining to see what the guy in front's going to get. They weren't promised anything. They didn't have a definite pay scale. So let's kind of see what the master does. And when they look, they see they're getting paid a day's wages. And you can imagine the thought process of the all-day worker. Holy smokes. He, he got a full-day wage. He only worked an hour. Well, let's do the math here. I mean, if that's what you get for an hour, and I worked here all day, and, you know, the heat index, you know, the square root of the, of the whatever here, you know, multiplied by the calories expended that I, I all day working, and holy smokes, I hope I have enough pockets for all the money I'm going to be getting here, right? They're comparing expecting, just like Peter was comparing. You know, we left everything behind. So what's in it for us? What will be ours? And Jesus recognizes that it would be an easy thing for the disciples to begin to feel and to act and to get up and get, give off the message to everyone else as if we are the inner core. We are the elite. We have been here from the beginning. We're the important people. We, we have worked the long hours. We have left things behind. We have sacrificed greatly. And so somehow we have a little more clout than everybody else. It'd be easy for the disciples to begin to feel that way. It's easy for that to happen in a church family. We are the ones who've been here through the tough times. We are the ones here in the early days. We have... Therefore, more clout, more value, 
Our words have more impact than others around us. Or it could be the reverse of that. It could be, hey, listen, we're the new thinkers. We have all the new ideas. We, we have the progressive thoughts, the avant-garde. We bring the latest things, so therefore we should be listened to more than others. Comparing. And Jesus is saying, you've got to guard against that. You've got to watch that. You must see past those distinctions. You must overcome those differences. You must love one another and relate to one another through the filter of God's grace freely and openly, not because you're earning something, but because you are being loved by God. At the foot of the cross, there is common ground. And that's why we need to act in ways that break down barriers and break down the separation. That's why hospitality matters. That's why getting to know people outside of a very small little circle matters. It's why getting involved in the ministries of the church matters and serving selflessly in ways that bless others, maybe that we'll never meet again and never see again. But that's why it matters because we're called to live beyond ourselves to break out of that very human tendency to kind of feel somehow that I've earned a better comparison to somebody else because the comparison mentality will hurt us, and Jesus knows that. You can look at the early workers and you sense what the comparison mentality will do. First of all, it, it will rob us of our joy because the workers who are in line at the end of the day's work having worked all day, getting exactly what they expected to get, instead of being able to rejoice in a job well done, to know that they have worked hard in a, in a big project and that they've been part of something important, and they really, they really put their all into it. That sense brings a sense of joy about you, but instead of that, it was replaced with anger. Their contentment was sucked out of their lives because... They were comparing to what other people got. And they started to demand that they thought was theirs. They started to clamor for their rights. When by rights, they could still be at the marketplace waiting to be hired. They weren't owed this job. When we compare, it takes away our joy. When we compare, we begin to be resentful of other people. And when we begin to be resentful of other people, eventually it turns into resentment against God. When we compare with one another, we take notes, we carry tally sheets, maybe not literally, but maybe mentally, you know. We look around. Some of these people haven't gone through the things that I've gone through. Some of these people haven't suffered the way that I've suffered. Some of these people are not putting in the prayer hours that I'm putting in. And what happens when we begin to resent other people's lives and their seeming ease, and half the time we just don't even know what's going on, let's face it. But what happens when we fall into that, we begin to get an attitude of resentment toward God. Well, He surely should be doing better for me. He surely owes me more than this. I've certainly earned it. I've put my time in. I deserve more. There it is again. The word deserve doesn't fit. Where's my blessing? Doesn't fit. You see, none of us gets paid wages. The idea that I deserve fails completely. Again, deserve doesn't apply in the realm of grace. 
That's not in the vocabulary of grace. So what should our thinking be? As we come to the week of Thanksgiving, we'll assemble again on Wednesday night and we'll rejoice and we'll hear what we're praising the Lord for and all of that. And then we'll have a wonderful time maybe around Thanksgiving feast table and those kinds of things. But what should our Thanksgiving thinking be as we prepare for all of that? Number one, we should remember God's past grace and be thankful for it. If you're a born-again believer here today and you know Christ is your personal Savior, it is not because you earned it. And it's not simply because you figured it out. It is a gift of grace when God's grace was applied to your soul as you turn to Him in faith. Remember, it's not about rights. It's not about privileges. It's not about ability. Salvation, hope, and promise is all a gift of grace to us. And the words of the hymn writer, as he thinks of past grace, he says, but drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. That's remembering past grace. And it prompts us to live beyond ourselves, to give ourselves away. Secondly, recall your current role and be diligent to your calling. What I mean is we're all servants in the field. In this parable, all of us are servants in the field. I don't say that to demean you or demote you in anything, in any way, but all of us are servants in the field. We have different roles there, but we're all working for the master, and we're created to work for the master with open hearts and joyful song. And when we do that, we will be vessels for the glory of God, not comparing with somebody else's calling or somebody else's task, but just joyfully doing mine. That's what God wants from us. And then rejoice in the hope of future grace. Live a life that says God's grace is going to show up again. It's going to show up tomorrow. It, it, grace brought me into this kingdom of, uh, of Jesus, and this grace is going to continue in my life. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love all those alls in that verse. Future grace. That's a verse about future grace. God's grace isn't just past. Peter's question was a good question in a way. Yes, there, there, there's blessing in the future. Yes, you will find that there's going to be a, a celebration. But your power to serve the master comes to you as you strain forward, not as you look sideways. Beware of looking sideways. Beware of envy that will let comparison bleed into your life, and as it does, it will bleed away your joy. Recognize that this is not about anything you're earning. It's all about love. God loves you. Let me, let me just tell you a quick story. Maybe you've had this experience. For those of you who've had children, uh, maybe you've been in a situation where it's time now as we're entering the holidays to think about the preschool Christmas concert, Right? Have you gone to one of those? <laughs> All right, you, you get moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, and you file in. People bring cameras, or now they're cell phones, and they're ready. And on the program, it says that the kids are going to sing Joy to the World. 
but good thing you have the program. Because in reality, what they produce is unrecognizable, right? <laughs> they walk in onto the stage, they're lifting their skirts, they're pushing and they're shoving, they're waving to mom and dad. It's basically chaos. But what do you do? You take up your phone and you film that entire thing. And, you, and, you feel, and at the end of that song, you stand up and you give it a standing ovation. You're giving a standing ovation to the absolute worst thing you have ever seen. <laughs> and why are you doing that? Because it's not about performance. It's about relationship. And that's how God views you. Grace means there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. He already loves you with perfect love. And when you truly believe that, you will obey him because you know that that's the best thing for you. And when you love him back and obey him, you receive the gifts he has, not wages, the gifts of grace. And you will be truly thankful. Let us be truly thankful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you relate to us. Forgive us for the times that we fall into a small perspective of comparing with others and, and seeking somehow to earn. Lord, help us just to rely on the truth of your love and to fall at the depths of your mercy. We rejoice in the fact that you love us through and through. Thank you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand as we sing together. Let's declare our thankfulness. that as always we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table and they're waiting for you to slip forward maybe there's a concern for prayer in your life something you're rejoicing about they would love to pray prayers of thanksgiving or maybe an issue that you're struggling with a question or a decision they will help you as they pray but you slip forward first let's all pray together Heavenly Father we thank you that you are so abundantly gracious to us. We rely on that. We rejoice in that. Help us to reflect that in this week ahead as we seek to represent you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.